Social Impact CX, the podcast that helps you drive mission and make a difference with customer experience. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Social Impact CX podcast. I'm John Corrigan, and I'll be your guide to how you can drive mission and achieve social impact with customer experience work. This is episode 26 of Social Impact CX, and again, thanks for listening. This episode of Social Impact CX is part two of a great conversation I recently had with Ann May Chang. I had the chance to meet Ann May a few months ago at an event in Washington, D.C. put on by Feedback Labs. I was presenting my startup journey map, and Ann May was, she was moderating the session that I was a part of, and she was just about to publish her book, Lean Impact. Well, Lean Impact is out, and it's a great read for anyone who is interested in the field's of social impact and social entrepreneurship, and also especially of interest, I think, to anyone following Eric Ries and the phenomenon known as the Lean Startup. In episode 25, which was part one of our recent conversation, uh, Anne May and I talked about a lot of different things, but one subject that I specifically called out with her was uh, her focus on audacious goals, which you can find right towards the front of her book in chapter two of Lean Impact. I thought it was great to see a thought leader like Anne May focus on audacious goals. It is so important to truly think big in the social impact and nonprofit sectors, and it was great to see that in the book. I was really excited when I when I ran across that. Uh, and in the second part of our conversation here in episode 26, we focus on the recurrent theme of innovation. And it's great to talk innovation with Anne May, given that her professional background includes roles at innovation leaders in Silicon Valley, such as Google and Apple. And then also, most importantly, uh, when she held the position of Chief Innovation Officer at USAID, Anne May served as the first Executive Director of the U.S. Global Development Lab. So she is truly uh, a unique and tremendous individual to be talking about innovation with. So if you're interested in grabbing a copy of Lean Impact, you can find it to order on Amazon. And there is also more information on Ann May's website. You can check out ANNMEI.com and you'll find more info there. Uh, Ann May just presented a session at South by Southwest 2019 in Austin. Uh, She presented a session on her book, Lean Impact, and the ideas around innovating for radically greater social good. Um, in fact, before we get to part two of my conversation with Anne May, um, here's my moment of gratitude. I'm very grateful, I'd like to say, for South by Southwest. I've been attending South by Southwest off and on for over 20 years now, which is really kind of hard for me to believe. Um, I recall when South by Southwest was, I think, then best known as a music conference and was always a great event uh, and far less structured and informal and and the or huge in size as it is today Uh, as the conference has grown and grown with movies and technology and much much more um, then i found myself speaking on panels a couple different years at the education centric part of south by southwest known as south by southwest edu Um, and whether I was attending to check out technology or music or the education track or current issues or whatever, I've always had a great experience at South by Southwest. I've always found it extremely worthwhile and a good time. And so I'm grateful and impressed with how South by Southwest has grown into what it is today. 
So let's get back to my conversation with recent South by Southwest presenter and author of the book Lean Impact, Anne Mae Chang. Hope you enjoy the second part of our discussion. So for those of you who have not yet had a chance to read Lean Impact, I was hoping to ask Anne Mae to go into a couple areas and do a deeper dive. And she's already hit number one on my list, which was audacious goals. And so I guess for Cliff Notes uh, readers out there, uh, part one of the book, you'll find audacious goals and some other great things being addressed. Part two is really um, that the value, growth, and impact uh, aspects we were talking about. But there are a couple areas in part three that I hope you will indulge me and, and go a little deeper because I would love to hear you talk about um, two specific areas. Uh, in chapter 12, you actually uh, address a message to funders, which I thought was fantastic. I was excited to see you include that. And then in uh, chapter 14, you talk about a world of impact. Um, and so I'll, uh, I'll let you decide which one to address first, but I'm hoping you can uh, share with us your thoughts and, and, and a little dialogue here about both your message to funders and um, a world of impact. Yeah, sure. So um, when we talk about the challenges of innovating in for social good, probably the by far the most common uh, challenge that I hear from organizations is the nature of funding. Um, and that funding can be highly restrictive, very siloed, very risk adverse, and it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for the recipients of such funding to innovate. Um, in, the, in, in chapter 11, before, before I have the message to funders, I, I suggest some areas where uh, uh, organizations actually have more latitude to innovate than they might imagine. And so I do think that there's some responsibility that falls on or, um, grant recipient sides to be able to um, find those opportunities and to push back to create the space to innovate. But at the end of the day, if we're, we're really going to shift the, the culture and, and to make innovation core to what we do in the social sector, funders are going to have to come on board. And so that's why I wrote a chapter specifically focused on funders to, to really challenge funders to say, if you're trying to achieve impact, what are the ways that you could structure your funding to better, better both enable that and beyond enabling to better incentivize it. And I think there's a number of different mechanisms that are available that um, funders are starting to adopt more and more, which I think can be very helpful there. Um, one of them is uh, the notion of tiered funding. So when, when you give a large grant out, of course you need to be conservative because you, it, it's, uh, you can't risk losing a huge sum of money. Um, and so one of the things that allows organizations to innovate more and, and can really manage risk for funders is to start much smaller with funding to just like in the venture capital space in Silicon Valley, when you uh, have a startup company and it's highly risky, you don't start out by giving them $50 million. You start out with angel funders who give them a small amount of money to kind of do a proof of concept. And then if it's looking promising, then, then maybe the seed funders come in and then maybe the A round of venture funders come in and so forth. And each tier of funding um, uh, increases as the confidence in the solution increases. And I think the same thing is very applicable for the social sector. And at USAID, we uh, had a mechanism called DIV, or Development Innovation Ventures, that was modeled after venture capital as a tiered evidence-based funding mechanism where we started out with grants of just $100,000, which is very small for USAID. 
that would in, increase to a million dollars and even $5 million over time um, based on success. And you know, even though USAID is a government entity is highly conservative, it allowed us, because we we're um, issuing much smaller grants, to, to take more risk, to place a lot of bets on ideas that were as yet unproven, um, allow that many of them would fail, but also find that some of them would really succeed. And, um, and that overall, we were able to deliver much better results by, be, by being able to embrace that kind of risk. So that kind of tiered funding is, um, and can take shape in many different forms, I think is one, of the, one tool that can really help funders manage risk while encouraging innovation. There's other tools such as prizes and advanced market commitments and paying for outcomes of, of various flavors that are also tools to help do so. And so I think that um, encouraging innovation, incentivizing innovation doesn't necessarily mean funders have to put a lot of money at risk. We can take more measured risk by using some of these tools. Right. I thought it was great to include the, the funders as a, a, the, in, this, in this broader subject because they're such a critical element in the overall mix. So how about a world of impact, which is a very interesting chapter with models and all sorts of other stuff in there. What was your thinking um, with a world of impact? Yeah, so the, the final chapter in the book I always think of as a chapter that's, you know, kind of what the, the author gets a little bit of latitude to say what's the world that they want to see happen in the future. Uh, and so I took the liberty in that chapter to really um, expound upon a few trends that I'm seeing, which is that, again, as I interviewed all these different organizations and talked and, and saw some of the amazing work happening, what was fascinating to me is that both on the funding side and on the the social enterprise side, that the most interesting work being done was really at the intersection of, of the for-profit and nonprofit models. That historically, when you and I were growing up, that there used to be you know two extremes. You had nonprofits and foundations or donors that were out to do good, and you had companies and investors who were out to make money. And they were on two far extremes, and the two didn't really meet. Today, more and more of what you're seeing is, what I'm seeing is that the folks on the nonprofit side are more and more looking towards um, uh, revenue-generating business models so that they, because it's a way that they can scale and make greater impact. And more and more of the for-profits are looking to do good because their customers, shareholders, um, employees are all pressuring them to do so. And so the two are coming together in the middle of what I call this hybrid gap of um, you know, blended models that uh, have elements of, the, of good from the, for, from the nonprofit side and elements of revenue and, and uh, income from the for-profit side. Um, and that the most interesting stuff is happening at that intersection because um, it allows you to both do good while driving growth. And yet, you know, what I write about in that chapter is that we currently don't have uh, the systems and tools to really support those hybrid organizations well. We're starting to have some mechanisms like B Corps that kind of uh, institutionalize this notion of doing well while doing good and in impact investing, but they don't go as far as I think we ultimately need to. Um, and so 
I think that ultimately, in order for us to really take advantage of the power of both, we're going to need more structures, both for the entities themselves and also to fund these entities so that we find ways to blend financing between uh, philanthropic money and investor money to be able to serve the needs of organizations that may not have the same risk-adjusted market rate returns that a pure-for-profit would, but also may not just be an entirely philanthropic um, charitable venture like a traditional nonprofit might. And so I think finding those tools to help us blend in the middle will open up a much wider space for us to be able to create impact. I very much agree with your thoughts in this area. And as an, I spent 20 years in the world of for-profit tech, and then I spent five years working for a major nonprofit organization. And when I decided to uh, form my startup, I went out and explored B Corps and L3C and nonprofits and for-profits. And I worked on uh, understanding the various different implications. And, and you're making business decisions, whether you're for-profit or nonprofit or blended model. Uh, you're making business decisions with each step of the way. And it is kind of a brave new world, but I, I, think, it's, uh, I, I think it's a huge and growing space that's so important to our future. I was really glad to see you touch on that. So uh, that to anyone who's interested in this space, I really recommend uh, chapter 14 where, where Anne May goes into this subject. So, uh, so thank you for including that. So, uh, you know, we didn't even talk about this uh, before. Uh, are you very familiar with the world of customer experience work at all? Absolutely, and and that you are, I'm sure, a more of an expert on that than I am. But the when I talk about value, that's essentially what I'm talking about: is what's the value we're providing, not only our customers but our stakeholders, and how do we understand that value? And I think the notion of understanding your customers is another area that's more challenging when you're working towards social good, especially when you talk about your quote-unquote ben beneficiaries, who are often people who um, are beneficiaries because they're disadvantaged in some way and often come from very different backgrounds or cultures or even languages or geographies than the people who are trying to serve them. And so understanding those customers can often be a bigger challenge than in the, in the for-profit world. Absolutely. I think that's, the, that, that, that's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That is the opportunity for Social Impact CX and my startup journey map is focused on that. The, and then there's you know, customer experience as a as a marketplace with, uh, you know, SAP re recently purchased Qualtrics, which uh, is probably the biggest, you know, surveying and voice of customer player, one of the biggest out there. It was an $8 billion transaction. And CX is growing, I think by 2025, it's supposed to be a $32 billion market sector now. I think what's fascinating is that all the noise and all the hoopla is at the end of the market that is all about complexity and robustness and the the price point that goes along with that the idea of making those capabilities accessible and affordable so that someone with a social mission can also reap those benefits and better understand the people they're working to serve that that's that's what i'm working on and i i knew when you know when we met your book was just about to drop and i hadn't had a chance to see it yet and so i looked uh inside the um uh, front cover and right there on the jacket it talked about 
more listening, more care, and more stakeholders. And, and that's where I was going with the understanding or the theme of customer experience work. I was glad to see you focus on those ideas of more listening, more care, and more stakeholders. Because that's what customer experience work is all about, whether you're trying to drive revenue uh, or increase margin, or whether you're trying to help more people uh, to get to some sort of social service or to a scholarship or, or to whatever else the experience is that, that, that's beneficial. So I, I guess I was just curious, and I think you started on this just a moment ago, that, you know, how do you see the opportunity there? What, what does it mean when you have more listening, more care, and more stakeholders in a broader context? Yeah, I mean, I think for any product or service to be successful, you need all your customers and stakeholders to be engaged. Um, otherwise, it's just an uphill battle all the way. Um, and it's harder to do that in the social sector, not only because your customers can be very different from you, but also because you have multiple customers. Um, typically, you have at least your, your beneficiary, if you will, and your funder. Um, and so in the for-profit space, usually your customer is also your funder, meaning that you have a product or service to offer. Your customer is the one that pays for it. And so if you're off base, you find out very quickly because no one's buying what you're offering. Um, in the nonprofit space, it's a lot harder because your funder may still keep paying you to do something, even if the people you're offering it to aren't that interested. Um, and so you, you don't have that natural feedback loop that says whether you're really meeting their needs well. So I think we have to be even more um, intentional about gathering that input, but it's just as essential because if we're trying to offer people um, you know, in the world of global development, one of the things that people have struggled with is we want people to convert from open fires for cooking to clean cook stoves that have lower carbon emissions that um, both help the environment and, and have positive health benefits. But a lot of people that we offered these clean cook stoves to, especially in the early days, didn't really like them. So we might give them a free cook stove, but they wouldn't use them because the, the food didn't taste right, they were more cumbersome to use or otherwise. And so we need to make sure that we are really delivering on something that meets a deeply felt need for the customers we're trying to serve. Otherwise, you know, we, we, we will just be tilting at windmills. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Understanding the, the journey and the value derived and really gaining a better appreciation or, or gaining empathy for uh, what the experience is or using a cook stove or whatever is the uh, example is really important. And the, the, the for-profit world has figured this out to get you to move to your next data plan, whether or not you realize that's what you're, you're doing. Um, I think the social sector uh, can learn a lot from better understanding the experiences and the feelings and the thoughts of uh, people that are trying to help with cook stoves or, or with whatever. Uh, to be more successful and to then achieve a greater impact. And then you go right back to how you're going to measure that and, and value growth and impact as we were talking about before. So I was really excited to, to see that. Yeah, and, and soliciting their feedback can often be much harder because there's language barriers, geographical barriers, there's cultural barriers. And so, um, and sometimes there's literacy barriers. So in the global development space that I work in, a lot of times people can't necessarily fill out a survey um, in written form because they may be illiterate. And so um, we have to also look at tools that are appropriate for gathering that data from, from people who may not be able to interact with the tools that we're normally accustomed to. 
it is really important work, but I think work doing this work in this sector requires a different lens and an openness of thought and uh, subject matter expertise. Uh, that's why even though you may be asking about how do you do 10x more, you don't want to forego all the insights you have about working in a place where maybe illiteracy is one of the challenges. Before we wrap up, I know that there are a lot of people who are very intrigued by the world of community. Eric Reason, what a huge impact he's had. It'd be really interesting if you'd be willing to share a little bit about how you've been working with Eric Reese and, and the team and uh, what your work is and then, you know, any insights you have from the lean world. Yeah, sure. So um, Eric and I, turns out, worked at a startup company together about 15 years ago. So we've known each other for a long time, way before the lean startup came into existence and way before I moved into the social sector. Um, but we've kind of stayed in touch over the years. And, um, you know, I think that he's created a great framework for thinking about innovation with the lean startup. Um, and so when I started thinking about what I was going to do in terms of this idea of writing a book, um, you know, one of the things that we tend to do in the social sector is we tend to, and, and in the world in general, is we tend to reinvent the wheel a lot. Um, everybody has their own intervention that they have their own brand name to, they have their own design for, um, at, that they're trying to promote. And, you know, I think that we, it's not the best way to get to the most impact. And so, you know, rather than starting over and creating a whole new brand and a whole new framework that then people would have to, you know, try to get their heads around, I decided that we could get, you know, a jump start on things uh, by, by building this on top of something that already existed. I was already quite successful, was already quite known, which is what Eric did with the Lean Startup. And so I approached him with this idea and he immediately thought it was, uh, he was very excited by it um, and was completely on board. Uh, got me in touch with his agent who helped me get a publisher and you know, he agreed immediately to write the forward and has helped promote the book. And I think it's, it's a great win-win because I think it builds on the lean startup movement. Um, and it also, um, is a great jump start for lean impact because we can tap into the the people who already have heard of the lean startup um, and the people who are practitioners of the lean startup usually have friends or family who might be doing something in the social good space um, and so I think it's really given us a, a head start and I'm continuing to work with Eric and he has a company called the Lean Startup Company that does conferences and consulting services and workshops and trainings and so forth um, around the Lean Startup to help companies and government look at how to implement the Lean Startup principles in their work. And so I'm working with them to build out a kind of nonprofit or social, uh, social good branch of or division of the company to really look at how we can serve the organizations who are trying to do good as well um, through all of those channels. We had a great uh, lean impact track at the last lean startup conference um, uh, in November. And, uh, you know, we, we contribute to the blog on the lean startup uh, company's website. Um, I've been doing workshops and consulting and coaching to a number of different um, organizations in the social good space through the Lean Startup Company. Um, and so I think it's a fantastic partnership that I hope will continue to blossom. That's great. Uh, that's great. I've not had a chance to experience one of your workshops firsthand, but I was on the phone a couple of weeks ago with uh, some colleagues and they had just been at a workshop you had done in Washington, D.C. and they said the experience was fantastic. So I've mentioned to, li to listeners that you, we can find your book, Lean Impact, on Amazon. Are, are you on social media? Uh, are there other ways, uh, ways we can find you online? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can find out more about the book at www.leanimpact.org, and that has uh, information about the book. Um, you can contact me through that if you're interested in, in having me come speak or do a workshop or something like that. Um, I'm also on Twitter at just at Ann May, A-N-N-M-E-I. Okay, that's great. Anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, it's really been a pleasure to reconnect with you and, and ha have this conversation on the podcast and uh, excited to hear what listeners think. Well, it has been a pleasure. I'd like to thank you for your work in the social good sector and uh, for writing a great book. And thanks for your time and sharing with the listeners of, of Social Impact CX. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. This has been Social Impact CX podcast episode 26. The second half of my conversation with Lean Impact author, and May Chang. Social Impact CX is also intended to be an interactive forum, a place to stir conversation and answer questions, provide some context and definitions, hopefully achieve a better understanding of customer experience and, and social impact work. So what questions do you have after listening to my conversation with Anne May? Questions about innovation or audacious goals or anything else that came to mind as we were talking? Um, I previously mentioned that Ann May has a website, ANNMEI.com, and you can find more information about her and her book there. Uh, you can also find Ann May online. Her Twitter handle is uh, Ann May, um, ANNMEI. You can also ask a question or make a comment here at Social Impact CX a couple different ways. First, you can send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. That's C O M M E N T at socialimpactcx.com. You can also find us on Twitter and post a question there. Our Twitter handle is Social Impact CX, and please follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with new podcasts and other related content. You can also find me on Twitter at the handle John F. Corrigan, um, and uh, feel free to uh, uh, tweet me directly a message there. Or if you're listening to this podcast via YouTube or SoundCloud, please feel free to post a question in the comments section either place, and we'll do our best to catch you there. And, and especially while you're at YouTube or SoundCloud, please subscribe to Social Impact CX. Uh, we appreciate you uh, following the channel. This is John Corrigan reminding you that, especially in social impact work, it's important to understand that your mission is really all about someone else's journey. And the more you know about someone's journey, the more you can help. Thanks for listening to Social Impact CX.